Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, the podcast with one host about one console, the Xbox One, and now the Xbox Series X and etc. I am said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we will actually not be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of January 2nd, 2020, because it's another holiday week, and so therefore there's no real news of consequence. So rather, I've got another kind of fun interstitial episode as part of my promise for the show to never miss a week despite, you know, the news cycle being kind of slow. So this week we're going to be doing something fun. I thought, you know, it's 2020, it's the year of the Xbox Series X, so let's do, you know, what I do best, and instead of looking forward, let's get all reflective and and look backwards instead, and I thought, you know, the Xbox One is a really important console to me specifically, because, I mean, not only is this show's name clearly a play off the name Xbox One, I just dropped the the E at the end and made it Xbox on, you know, which is like a voice command uh, throwback to the earlier days of the console when Kinect was a more integral part of the system experience and and all that. And just thought, you know, I'd play with this idea of like Xbox on, Xbox one, one host, one console, the console is called the one, et cetera, et cetera. I think it's pretty self-explanatory. But aside from, you know, just the podcast itself, borrowing from the name Xbox, the reason why, you know, knowing when I made this podcast back just six, seven months ago, that this name would quickly become antiquated because obviously we knew even last summer that the Scarlet was on the horizon and that this Xbox One was coming to an end as a generation. I still wanted to go ahead and, and use this naming convention because the Xbox One, despite being like objectively the least exciting, if not second to the 360 at the very least, you know, Xbox console, I think it's a really, really important and special console to me. And it's quite possibly my favorite Xbox console, not even so much for, you know, how awesome the the hardware is and how innovative it was and the games it offered, but really just the kind of, I don't know, sentimental, arbitrary sentimental memories and resonance it has with me personally. And it's just, so I, I thought, you know, obviously if you're listening to this show, you're probably a fan of the Xbox. So it would be a really exciting opportunity for me to talk about my favorite Xbox console and just kind of do this retrospect where we talk about the console from when it was announced to kind of up until today as we get into its sort of sunsetting phase as we prepare for the Xbox Series X and to kind of see how much this this console's really you know, grown and changed so much. Uh, just writing some quick notes, you know, for the show to be able to do this, I was just like, holy shit, if you really look at the Xbox One from 2013 when it was first released till now, it's almost entirely a different console. And in some reasons, I think it's, I mean, in many reasons, I think it's for better. Some ways, and for some reasons, I think it's actually a little bit for worse because there are some things that Microsoft originally intended to do with this console that I was quite excited for and I was really on board with despite, you know, some other public opinion. But we'll get into all that in a minute. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. But of course, we're going to start the episode out with some little housekeeping things, the what I've been playing and whatnot. I have noticed, you know, I've been bad about this. Obviously, I hate I hate being the guy to be like, follow me on social media or please rate my show. But one thing, you know, I do think is really awesome is when people actually take the time to give me a review and say a nice thing about my show. Again, I know this is so tired because I even roll my eyes when I'm listening to a podcast or watching a YouTuber who goes, you know, thanks audience. Oh, I can't do this without you. But like, of course it has to be said because I'm like surprised. Obviously the show, the show is not very popular. I'll be really honest with you. I've got nothing to hide. This show doesn't do crazy numbers. I think I have roughly a hundred people listening to the show concurrently, which is more than I could ever ask for. And, but the show doesn't really grow. It's kind of stagnant really honestly. And it's, and it's, uh, and it's listenership, but honestly, I'm, I'm just really proud that anyone even listens to the show consistently at all. And I really am grateful to anyone who's ever listened to this show. And it just actually means so much to me just trying to, I don't know. I listened to this, um, this one podcast where, where the host put into perspective and I like to, I like to use his kind of analogy to think of it. Like if I were to close my eyes and think about me speaking into this microphone and then opening my eyes and seeing an audience of a hundred people just wasting an hour of their life listening to my bullshit, I would be, you know, I'd be, I'd be so choked up that anyone would even give a shit. So the fact that anyone listens, it really, really, truly means a lot. And for that reason, I just want to say, you know, shout out to a couple of people who've reviewed the show on iTunes, et cetera. Um, I don't want to go through and read reviews because one, I don't want to waste your time. And two, I don't know if you've ever written a review for the show. Uh, I don't know that you'd like that kind of thing right on the air. So out of respect for you and out of respect for everyone's time, I will just say, you know, on iTunes, uh, we've got writer Darv123, who wrote a really nice five-star review. And I, I really appreciate those kind words, Darv. And I've had a few of you on Twitter follow me or, or shout me out or people follow me on Xbox or say nice things in the YouTube comments. And, 
you know, whoever, whoever you are and whatever, at whatever point you've ever reached out and said a hello or said, you know, I appreciate the show. Just I really do truly appreciate those kind words. And that's the kind of thing that helps me to continue to do this show as, you know, sometimes I get a little despondent, you know, I have a hard work week and I think I really don't want to do this fucking show today. Uh, I, I've got so much shit going on. And then I, and then I do the show and someone says something nice and it's like, holy crap, people actually care about the show. And it kind of gives me that energy to be like, aside from the fact that, you know, there, there is someone on the other end listening to the show. It reminds me, you know, this is about sharing my love of Xbox with the world. And hopefully someday, you know, with people sharing their love of Xbox back with me, because as I used to say a lot in the earlier days of the show, I, I, I would love to have more listener feedback and questioning. And so we can just kind of do more back and forth and have everyone's voice heard on the show because Xbox is an awesome brand and I want us to all be able to share it and enjoy it together and not for this to be a one way of you just constantly listening to me and never having a chance to speak. So, so sorry for the long housekeeping. I hate being that guy. Uh, but just thank you so much for listening to this show. And I'm excited to be doing this into 2020 and do another, another full year of Xbox uh, on. Additionally, happy new years to everyone. Happy new year not New Year's, it's, it's one year. And so we'll, we'll start off this week with the what I've been playing, and then we'll skip the news because there really isn't any, and then we'll get into this week's kind of retrospective look on the Xbox One. So this week I've been playing Life is Strange 2. I think I said I started that last week, so I've been playing more of that. Um, I will be honest, I, I know I said last week, you know, it's usually these games are pretty cringy. People who play Life is Strange know that the writing is rough. You got to kind of push through the rough writing for a couple hours to really let the game sink in otherwise, because they are really good games. And I can say that to both the first Life is Strange, the, the Before the Storm prequel, and then the Captain Spirit little one-off they did. But man, I'll be honest, I'm just now at the beginning of episode five, so I'm pretty late into the game. I'm, I'm at the, the last like two hours of the game, really. And I've got to be honest, I do not like Life is Strange 2 pretty much at all. It's entertaining enough that I can absolutely play through the whole thing and see it through to the end, no problem. But I do not like the characters. I don't like the writing. And it's more than just the standard, like, cringy writing, poor adaptation of, like, how teenagers think and talk. It's it's worse than that. It's, like, the writing, like, the storytelling, the narrative, the overall plot of the game is straight up bad and I hate almost every character in the game like I actively despise and am rooting against characters to the point where sometimes I'll make like evil decisions just to see someone get hurt or die or leave the game because I don't want to see them and I don't like the character now I will say the the main protagonists the two brothers that you play as Sean and Sean and Daniel I like them both very much there are aspects about them I don't like, but overall I enjoy them as characters. And I do, I'll just get right into it. Here's the big thing with the game. I, I appreciate any game that tries to have a political message because I don't believe in this whole, like, keep your politics out of gaming. I think politics are inherent to everything, and you just got to have thick skin and, and give people an opportunity to speak their opinions and to speak their beliefs regardless of whether or not you agree with them. So if you watch a movie, read a book, play a game, whatever, no difference. Everything has a political message behind it, whether intended or not. Sometimes it's heavier handed than others, but the point is everyone has beliefs and political beliefs and social views come out as a result of people just self-expressing. It's not always an intended consequence, but it is, you know, it is impossible to otherwise avoid it. So it's just it's just a part of creating art, creating content. So I accept that and I encourage that. And so my problem with Life is Strange isn't that I don't agree with its political messaging and its social messaging at all. That's not a problem for me at all because some of it I do agree with and some of it I don't. And that's what it is. You know, that's whatever. I'm not trying to be on one side or the other. My problem with it is the game is so incredibly trite and contrived and in your face and not very smart or eloquent at all about the way it tackles anything. So to put things into perspective, Don't Nod, the developer behind the game, is a French studio. And this feels very much kind of like what Far Cry 5 dropped the ball in a little bit, where it's like, it just feels like this very foreign, very European studio that has no real context for what's going on in the United States right now, trying to use like this from afar perspective to tell players what's going on, what the issues are in American culture today. And to be more specific about that, so obviously the main characters of this game, if you've ever seen a trailer for it, are two Hispanic boys. They're, they're Mexican-Americans, and the main premise of the game, this isn't spoiling anything, is that their father is shot and killed by a police officer, and it basically sends them on the run. They find out the, the younger brother has supernatural abilities, and basically they're you know they're kind of on the run from the police and trying to find, like, they're seeking safety. Um, and it's about this journey they have with, like, the older teenage brother having to really step up and be the father figure to his younger brother and help him kind of understand 
understand and deal with these powers he has and the loss of their father. But through all of that story, which is an awesome setup for a story, by the way, it just keeps using it as a vehicle to explain, you know, police brutality in the United States, uh, the Republic, like the the alt like the alt right kind of like cartoonish internet perception of of the Republican Party and the kind of Donald Trump stuff and all this like racism in America. And I think these are all great social issues and political ideas to attack, you know, regardless of what side of the, where on the spectrum you fall with this, because these are important conversations to have. These are important ideas and beliefs to be challenged. But unfortunately, the game just ends up being super contrived. And here's what I mean about the whole French studio tackling American problems. It feels like the studio at Don't Nod is, is comprised of a bunch of people who've never visited the United States of America, who've never actually spoken with Americans about their perspectives and their opinions about these social issues, but rather just scrolled through Twitter aimlessly and read the myriad bullshit that people spew on social media and use that as the inspiration to kind of attack these American ideals and, and social views and whatnot. And it's just, it comes off as so tone deaf and so trite, so in, incredibly out of touch with what's really going on or how people really are. For example, there's like this one scene where the ki- where one of the characters gets pulled out of a car and like these two like white guys in the middle of like nowhere start like harassing the kid and being like just saying some really awful shit to him and beating on him and, and being really racist to him. And it's like these are potentially really awesome moments to like really like show this awful like undertone of racism that does exist uh, in certain corners of the world because racism just is a thing that exists and some people are racist and it ends up coming off as just like all white people are racist and all Hispanic immigrants are just like constantly being marginalized by all and everyone everyone hates everyone everyone's at, at odds with each other and it's just it's really just kind of perpetuating this really this bullshit perspective that like everyone is enemies with everyone and everyone's a victim or a bully and like no one see I don't know it's just so weird the game is just it's just very one-sided and one-dimensional and just I don't know I, I hate it it's it's just not very good the way it portrays it because again it's not that I do or don't agree with what the game is choosing to talk about it's that it does it in such an inelegant and surface level way that you don't even end up resonating with anyone involved you don't you don't feel for the characters you nothing feels believable or viable it's just a really contrived and kind of uneducated and uninformed perspective of these issues that just it just comes off as so like bandwagony and just I don't know it's just not very good it just it feels like the developers are just trying to be on board with kind of this specific kind of cultural movement where we're just being inclusive and and trying to be politically correct without truly understanding, you know, the plight of these specific groups of people or the true perspectives of of the victims or the the people involved in these scenarios. And it comes off as just very contrived, very disingenuous, and it's just not a fun game at all. And I think regardless of where you fall on any of these political beliefs, social issues, again, it's 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 way more of an eye roll than a compelling game, and it's just not very good. It's entertaining enough to play it through the end, but again, like there's like all these like crazy hippie characters that are just caricatures of like of like liberals, and it's just it's honestly, regardless of if you're Democratic, Republican, or anything in the between, or anything on any other spectrum, because you don't want to be one or the other. It's I think it's kind of just offensive to people on all fronts because it doesn't even remotely portray anyone in kind of a a reasonable and rational light. It just kind of makes caricatures and embarrassing portraits of everyone from every walk of life. And it's just, it's just not very good. Uh, And and that pains me to say, because like I said, I've enjoyed everything. Don't not has made up until now, but I will finish episode five. And I I, uh, hope that, you know, the new game they're working on that they announced during XO 19. um, I hope, I hope it's much better because I want to like these guys and I want to continue playing these games, but man, Life is Strange 2 is not very good. Okay, and that's going to do it for what I've been playing. Sorry to have made that one so long, and I'm sorry if I annoyed you to death with all my uh, ranting, incoherent ranting about politics and video games. But now we're going to get into the main topic of this week's show, which is, of course, our Xbox One retrospective. So basically what I've done here is I've kind of made these bullet points about the Xbox One from 2013 when it was revealed and then released up until you know today 2020 ish as we get into its kind of final year as a console so we're going to kind of just do like this start to finish and talk about some major highlights major games released major aspects of the console's life 
turning points in the generation and just this isn't going to be comprehensive we're going to miss a lot of important details because as i was writing these notes i realized like a lot of games a lot of important information has has happened you know throughout the xbox one generation so bear with me humor me if i miss some really important items uh but we're just going to kind of push through and do what i could remember to be uh the the main sticking points of this generation and just kind of reflect on all that so in 2013 uh, actually, Sony Sony beat Microsoft to the punch with revealing the next generation console after a very long and tired uh, previous generation of the PS3, Xbox 360 that lasted way longer than any previous gaming generation ever. Sony and Microsoft finally showed what they had up their sleeves for the next generation. And, you know, as a side note for many who don't already know, many believe the reason for the consoles you know take for there being such a large gap between like xbox 360 and xbox one is you know the recession that hit in the u.s or the recession that hit in 2008 and kind of how it affected the market and set everyone back for years both you know manufacturers and the market with being ready for a new entertainment box that they can drop four or five hundred dollars on and just a myriad reasons why you know these consoles ended up coming out way later than they otherwise would have people believed otherwise that these consoles initially would have come out closer to like 2011 2012 but nonetheless 2013 after a very long xbox 360 generation microsoft finally revealed uh the xbox one following sony's reveal the playstation 4 in february so it was may and xbox held their own announcement event and this is the infamous show where they revealed the xbox and focused very much so on the kind of entertainment aspect rather than just the box itself so don matrix was still the head of xbox at the time and they come out and they reveal the box it looks great the controller looks great everything about the console looks great but then they really start marketing the xbox kind of as what its original vision was which is it's this thing that comes with this 2.0 connect it's integral to the system it comes in the box you cannot buy it without this peripheral and it's it's part of how you navigate the xbox it's part of how you interact with it and it's way more we're going way deeper than just making a gaming console this is your all-in-one entertainment box hence the name xbox one which you know people rolled their eyes a lot at that name at the beginning but of course i or not of course i think personally now the xbox one name is just fine i don't think it's the best name i still think xbox 360 is a way cooler name but i think xbox one is a name we've all gotten pretty used to and i don't think it's a it's a rough name anymore it's just it's just fine with me um, I think people way overreacted about what are we going to call the original Xbox if your third Xbox is called the Xbox One? And it's like that was just one of those like trite, we're going to bitch and moan about everything because we can kind of things. But nonetheless, you know, obviously the console immediately got a lot of backlash for the name itself. And then, of course, that event focused so much, not not so much on just gaming, but on on, you know, this is going to be the center of your living room. You're going to be able to connect your cable box to it. You're going to be able to use all your entertainment media apps on it. Basically, we're, and this was Microsoft's original vision, is we're going to make Xbox do to your living room what the desktop PC has done to your office room. We want to make this the computer that is at the center of all entertainment and all, you know, connected computer-like media activity, not just gaming. And, it really is kind of a great idea for Xbox. The problem is, you know, when audiences have been so hungry for a new video game console and you come out and you start showing off the entertainment box and not the console about video games, you really confuse the message, especially when your audience during an early announcement isn't, you know, the general user, it's the gamer. It's, it's you know, it's obviously, it's on top of that, it's also investors in, in your, your market, you know, the people you want to sell to. It's not just the consumer. Uh, but when it comes to the consumer, it's your gamers. And that those are the people who are here to see how powerful this new machine that's going to play the next Halo game is. Not, you know, is there going to be fucking... I don't know, third party Call of Duty and and uh, a Halo TV show or whatever it was. And so while I don't personally, you know, think this unveiling was as like cringy and like shake my head as, as most people tend to think of it, it definitely wasn't a good showing. And I think we can all agree on that. But what, what really makes me sad is that 
this this is kind of the catalyst of how Xbox went from something it was intended to be to something audiences shaped it, it to be. And it's always awesome when, you know, users can help influence a brand by making it something more in line with what everyone wants it to be. But it's also really awesome when a company has a vision for a product or a service and then they're able to change the world's perception. I always liken this example to the iPhone. The iPhone's kind of the perfect example in a more modern sense, right? Where you know, Steve, our, our perception of phones were all these like little flip phones with buttons and they were kind of rudimentary and, and really quite antiquated by what we use today, uh, our standards today. And then the smartphone was like the Blackberry, which was a thing with a full QWERTY keyboard. And it was just this crazy device that is so obscure by today's standards. But the team at Apple and, and Steve Jobs saw it as like, no, we got to We have to get to simplicity and we have to think of the phone as something more than just a communication device in the way of phone calls. We had to think of it in all these new ways. And basically what they did was they introduced to the market this device that no one knew they wanted and no one knew they needed but we all wanted and we all needed. And then they changed the world of smartphones and, and of phones in general and the thing you keep in your pocket. And they literally revolutionized the world in, in that product. Now, of course, the Xbox One was never going to be that revolutionary to gaming like the iPhone was going to be to personal computing. But it it's a similar thing where Microsoft had a clear vision for what they wanted the Xbox One to be. They wanted it to be your compute the the equivalency of your computer in your living room and i really would have liked to see that play out all the ideas and they had for connect and all the ideas they originally had to make xbox more like steam with the kind of everything being tied more to your account and less to like the kind of traditional buy a physical video game pop in the machine all that and they just got so much hate and so much fight uh, fight back from this that you know I think the real the real shame in all this isn't that Microsoft got cocky and dared to, to show the world something different that we didn't like I think the bigger issue is that the market wasn't more open-minded to something that was a little more forward-thinking because as we get further along the Xbox's life cycle what we see is that regardless like the the market is slowly slowly creeping up to what the Xbox originally was going to be, the Xbox One was originally going to be, we're getting closer and closer to that, like, everything is tied to an account, and it's not so much the console itself, and it's all digital these days, and it's always connected to the internet, and we're getting so much closer to that these days that it's just so sad that, like, Xbox caught so much flack for in 2013, and it's it's fair in the sense that they were very they were very cocky about it when they came out with these with this with this console, but it's also a lot that they were just ahead of the curve and the market wasn't ready for it because we were still thinking about buying physical media and popping in our consoles and sharing games with our friends. And Sony, on the other hand, did, you know, they succeeded wildly by playing the exact opposite car. They said, this is our new PlayStation console. It's a, it's appropriately priced. It's all about video games and it's all pro-consumer, pro-gamer, just games, games, games. And that was really effective marketing that just really from the get-go made the Xbox One like impossibly hard to compete with uh, or the, the PlayStation 4 impossibly hard to compete with, I should say. So obviously that was the whole reveal. People were really down on Xbox instantly. PlayStation 4 just kind of became the de facto uh, next generation console. And really, you know, that May reveal event is really where it all started. From there, Microsoft never recovered and that was pretty much game over for the Xbox One. Now, I'm not one of those people that say Xbox One's a failure is a failure. It's certainly not. It's sold very respectively. Microsoft makes money off the Xbox brand and the Xbox one. It's a good console. It sells well. It just hasn't sold as well as the 360, and it hasn't been nearly as competitive to the PS4 as I'm sure Microsoft or any of us as Xbox fans would like to see it be. That was kind of the, the beginning and the end of all of that, but we, of course, would go on to see Microsoft fight really hard to kind of take back some of that market share and, in my opinion, do more than an excellent job at really doing that. Although they don't they don't succeed in numbers, they they do succeed, in my opinion, in in making all the right moves and making like kind of rebuilding the brand and making it the most pro consumer brand in gaming. Um, so that was 2013. The console releases later on that year on November 22nd. We get games like Rise, Son of Rome, which is the console's 
big exclusive. It's not very good. We get Forza Motorsport 5, which is a fantastic Forza game. We get Dead Rising 3, which is like oddly exclusive to Xbox. And then we get Zoo Tycoon, Max Curse of Brotherhood. But we don't get any like real big games. Like Forza is a big game, but obviously there's always that big like sexy racing game to show off the new console's power. But, you know, most people aren't going nuts about Forza. That's more of a niche game. Rise Son of Rome really isn't like the next big Xbox franchise like I'm sure Xbox was hoping for but nonetheless you know launch lineups are usually pretty weak so we'll give them that right then we quickly move into 2014 as the Xbox one is only released at the tail end of 2013 and this is this along with 20 I, I don't know this along with 2015 are my two favorite years for the Xbox one the 2014 to 2015 time frame um, this is when the Xbox one is really fiery and really competitive uh, because it just has it, the Xbox One was a very front loaded generation of uh, of exclusive games, excellent exclusive games. Whereas I'd say the PlayStation Four is kind of just the opposite. Whereas the PlayStation Four was really slow its first few years with exclusive games, but has since really kicked ass in its latter half of its generation. Um, so in 2014, you know, we see them kind of updating the the console is a Windows 8 machine. We see them constantly updating it, and people are bitching and moaning about how they don't like the Windows 8 setup and the console lacks a bunch of functionality and features that even the 360 already had and so rightly so the community kind of expresses that hate and that concern with Microsoft and they do right by continually updating the console so that was a thing I remember in the earlier parts of the generation um, but then um, you know the console just kind of trucks along for the most part throughout 2014 selling respectably um, actually doing like kind of competitively well against the PlayStation 4. It's not till later on that it starts like really getting left in the dust sales-wise compared to the PS4. So up until, you know, throughout most of its first year or throughout its first year in general, the Xbox One is sold only as one one SKU and it has the Kinect sensor. But then in 2014, we get a new version that does not include the Kinect sensor uh, and it retails for $400. So you knock... You knock a hundred bucks off the console, and now you can get it without the effect, without the Connect. And this is awesome because it makes the console more competitive with the PS4 pricing-wise. But it immediately undercuts the whole original vision for the Xbox One. And this is like kind of where you get to the beginning of the end with the original vision, where it's just like. All right, so now we're not going to focus on Connect, even though Connect was going to be such an integral part of this console generation. And of course, everyone starts buying the version that doesn't include Connect because that's what people really want. And so the market speaks. Um, and so obviously, 2014 is a massive year because Don Matrix leaves Xbox and we get Phil Spencer promoted up to head of Xbox. And that really is the most critical move. I'd say the two most critical moves this generation for Xbox are one, Phil Spencer taking over and two, the launch of Xbox game pass. And so obviously one you get early in the console generation and the other you get later. Um, so this is a huge one. Um, Phil Spencer, he is the one who helms the ship and says, Hey, I'm not going to say the whole like embarrassing, you know, we have a console for people that don't want to be online all the time. It's called Xbox 360. We're not going to be that company. We're not going to be full of hubris and be cocky and hateful. We're going to actually be all pro gamer and listen to our audience. And he starts rebuilding the brand from this point on immediately. Like he starts re re like redirecting the ship and just changing everything about Xbox. And he makes all the right moves. There's no doubt, like I've said before, and like everyone will say, there's no doubt in hell. And it, there's no doubt in my mind that Phil Spencer is by far the the best person to be um, helming the Xbox brand and so that's the best thing that happens in 2014 by far aside from you know also the console becoming more competitively priced with a new SKU um, that does not include Connect for 400 bucks. Other than that, a massive story that happens in 2014 is, of course, Microsoft buys Mojang, uh, the company behind Minecraft, and then Minecraft becomes a Microsoft brand, uh, which is massive. Uh, and, you know, this this acquisition, I think it was like, I think it was, it was two or four billion. I want to say it was four billion dollars Microsoft bought them for, which is absurd. It's like more money than Disney spent on Star Wars, on Lucasfilm. So, I mean, it's just, it's insane how much they spend, but this ends up proving to be a, a good move for them as Minecraft still to this day persists and continues to be a very successful platform and, uh, and just continues to sell very, very well and be played and loved all around the world. So this is awesome. And I'd say, you know, nowadays it's very easy to think of Minecraft 
as an Xbox game, as an Xbox brand. Uh, but that wasn't so much the case in 2014. It was one of those like, wow, that's going to be weird to see Minecraft go to Xbox. And a lot of people were under the impression that Minecraft would be pulled from the PlayStation and pulled from PC and just be Xbox only. Uh, but that wasn't the case. Microsoft decided to keep it multi-platform. And, and so here we are in this world where Microsoft now has an ex a, a game they own, a, a very important game they own that they keep on all major competitive platforms. Uh, notable games in 2014, we get Titanfall, which is the first, I would say the first really big release for the console. Um, it's certainly the game... The first game on Xbox I was really excited about, and it's, it's I, definitely the first like really solid game outside of Forza that comes to the console. We get Fantasia Music Evolved, which is way better than it has any right being. It's a Kinect music game. We get Child of Light, which is a really beloved indie game, for, or not indie game, but like indie kind of smaller looking game, but it's from Ubisoft. Uh, we get Dragon Age Inquisition, which does very well that year. Forza Horizon 2, which is the game that really kicks the Forza Horizon series into like high competitive gear. We get Middle Earth Shadow of Mordor, which is much beloved for its nemesis system. Far Cry 4, which is by far my favorite Far Cry game, a fantastic game. And then we get Sunset Overdrive, which in my opinion is by far top three Xbox One games. If you haven't played Sunset Overdrive, you are a very, very awful person and you need to go rectify that immediately. Uh, we get Destiny, which is Bungie's First uh, non-Halo game, you know, since since they're kind of split with Microsoft, and that was a very significant game. It spawned the whole games as a service kind of thing that really helped to define this generation of gaming. And then famously, of course, we get the Master Chief Collection in November of this year, which is launches and it has myriad problems, and it's just a big old mess for Microsoft and 343. Uh, but as we've seen throughout the generation, they have turned the ship around and really made Master Chief Collection easily you know the most valuable uh, or the most the most value in any one game purchase ever it's just fantastic um, and then we get Wolfenstein the New Order which is this reboot of the Wolfenstein franchise that's fantastic we get Call of Duty Advanced Warfare Outlast Evil Within D4 Alien Isolation etc etc and then Microsoft releases that Project Spark which is supposed to be like this kind of persistent platform that never really gets out of beta it has that conquer content eventually but no one really plays it, it falls off and we haven't heard of in a long time it's pretty defunct by it's lo it's long been defunct by now so that's roughly your 2014 year and then we get into the 2015 year which i will uh, quickly go through this is my other favorite year for the xbox one because this is this 2015 is the year where xbox one goes okay we we had a rough start but now we're in position to launch our slew of like really awesome first party games and really show you what this console is all about and so in 2015 you know the the console really kicks ass by going into E3 and Phil Spencer kicks off the showing by saying, hey, backwards compatibility with Xbox 360, boom. And that, you know, sends shockwaves through the industry and some massive news. And this is also one of those really critical turning points that helps to define what the rest of not only this generation would be, but also is kind of like a domino setup for what next generation is going to be. I think, I think backwards compatible is so critical to the Xbox One's life because even though at the time we just thought, oh, this is so awesome, I can play all my Xbox 360 games on my Xbox One, I think what a lot of us didn't see, including myself back then at this point, is that this is Microsoft slowly positioning the Xbox. This is like the early inkling of what Xbox is going to become or what we're starting to see it now become as it's, you know, Xbox Play Anywhere, play your games on PC. Xbox is like this almost Steam-like thing where, like, you can play any Xbox game ever provided you have the hardware to support it, uh, where we see, you know, the Series X being more like a PC, being able to play all your Xbox games and seeing, like, everything always be backwards and forwards compatible. Um, and I think this is kind of the embryonic start of all of that, really, is when the Xbox One gets its 360 backwards compatibility, something that we were originally told wouldn't be possible. But Phil Spencer, when, as soon as he got in charge, he set a team on a mission to <laughs> make this happen. And they, they did it and it was fucking beautiful and it really helped change the game. And it's, it, it was the first thing, honestly, that the Xbox One had that made the PlayStation 4 look actually like objectively worse by comparison for not having. So this was a huge move. Uh, I just remember this was the first thing to happen associated with the Xbox One that actually for the first time made people on the Internet like say positive things about Xbox and it was or, or Xbox One rather. And it was just a really, really big win for them. Uh, aside from that. The console standard price dropped down to $350. Uh, we also got a one terabyte 
right model that replaced the original $400 model. We got games like Forza Motorsport 6, Guitar Hero Live, Mortal Kombat 10, Black Ops 3, Rare Replay, Batman Arkham Knight, Life is Strange, which I, as I told you, is a wonderful, wonderful game. One of my favorites of 2015. Disney Infinity 3.0, I added that in there for, for me just because I, I really love that game. Rest in peace. Gears of War Ultimate Edition, Fallout 4, Witcher 3, which is, you know, still talked about as like roughly game of the game of the generation kind of material although i still haven't played it and i don't really care to we got metal gear solid 5 ori in the blind forest rise of the tomb raider which was a big deal because it was kind of marketed as an xbox exclusive although we learned this was kind of the game that started the timed exclusive thing this generation that we've seen a lot um but that was a big game that was really associated with the xbox one and kind of held onto that console alone for for a solid year and then of course we get my favorite game of 2015, my favorite game possibly this whole generation, maybe maybe top three for sure, absolutely phenomenal game. And of course, I'm talking about Halo 5 Guardians, uh, which comes out in October. I believe it was October 27th. I think I just remember that because I was so excited for years about that game and uh, I never forgot the date when it was announced. Uh, but yeah, Halo 5 Guardians, which was of course set to be the, the console's killer app. Um, now, of course, you know, for all, for as much as I love Halo 5, it has to, it has to be said, Halo 5 is the major turning point for Halo and its relation to the Xbox brand, where we see it for once not be, where we see Halo kind of drop off in its popularity and its relevance. And we see, you know, despite the game selling very well and, and doing commercially well and critically well, um, a lot of players took issue with the campaign. I know still to this day, many of you listening probably don't like Halo 5 because it's just such a divisive game, uh, despite its multiplayer being absolutely fantastic. But, you know, aside from that, it's just, it was the first time Halo came out and it wasn't the like, everyone stop what you're doing, a new Halo is out. It was more like the new Halo came out and unless you were on the Xbox platform, you were basically just like, so what? I'm over here on PlayStation. I don't give a shit. And it was, I think it's so interesting. This is such an important moment to me because the Xbox 360 era, you know, when you had games like Halo 3, it was marked by like this, this critical idea that like Halo is the end all be all first person shooters were so incredibly important to that, to that generation. But then you get into this generation, like the first person shooter doesn't mean as much as it did back then. And in fact, this generation, what you see is people care about Big open worlds. That is what defined this generation. You know, if it, if it was the first person shooter in the Xbox 360 era with like your Halo 3, your Call of Duty Modern Warfare and all that. In this generation, it was not about your shooters. It wasn't about your Halos. It was about your Witcher 3s, your Red Dead Redemption 2s, your massive open world games where you can just get lost in that. It was about that or shared world games like Destiny or The Division 2 or, or kinds of these games or these free-to-play games that persist like your Fortnites. And I, it was crazy to see Halo 5 come out and, you know, despite selling very well and doing pretty well critically it just didn't light the world on fire the way every other halo had before it and i think that was you know a major wake-up call for microsoft and for many of the industry that like xbox has to start getting really competitive they have to shake things up they have to change their strategy they cannot rest on their laurels and just and just go with halo and gears all the time and i think that's kind of where we really see the embryonic stage of the microsoft consuming a lot of studios and really diversifying their portfolio in fact even during this year in 2015 bill spencer speaks a lot about the the, the portfolio that's what rise of the tomb raider being a timed exclusive was all about was about getting new genres and getting new types of games into their portfolio to make the Xbox a more well-rounded brand and to appeal to more types of gamers and not just your first-person shooters, the kinds of people we always think about playing, you know, the Xbox 360, the the pot-smoking teenager that's go army strong and all that. That was a that was a stigma that was really heavily attached to the 360, you know, 10 15 years ago, whereas whereas you know in the Xbox One generation the gaming world was nothing like that. So I think that was really important. And despite Halo 5 just being one of my favorite games, um, it, it can't be understated that, you know, that game was a wake-up call that things had to change over at Xbox. It couldn't be the same old story. And that, you know, the gaming audience was changing and the PlayStation 4 didn't have to have a, a Halo competitor like a Resistance Fall of Man or a um, or a Killzone. They, could, they can do their 
their Uncharted's and their many, many third-person action games that they never get criticized for and get away with it because that's what people wanted more than Halo. And that was just a crazy thing to think about. But that was 2015, and, the, and I always think of 14 and 15 as my favorite years for Xbox because I loved the games that came out during that era. I loved that, like, Windows 8 era of Microsoft. Just that whole, like... That whole ecosystem of like Windows 8, Windows Mobile Phone, or sorry, Windows Phone, uh, Halo 5, that early Xbox One era where Connect was still part of the conversation and just all the wacky technology and the consumer stuff Microsoft was into back then that we saw them step away from a lot going into 2016 and beyond. Um, I don't know. It's just it's a really special era for me, and I have extremely fond memories of playing Xbox during those two years in particular. But then we moved in 2016, and this is where things start really shaking up for the Xbox One. I think this is I think 2016 is the year where you definitely leave behind the first half of the generation and enter the second half of the generation. And this is the year where we get the Xbox One S, which is released in August for $300 or $350 uh, or $400 if you get either the 500 gigabyte, one terabyte, or two terabyte respective models. It's slimmer. It's got the updated controller. It's got HDR. It's got 4K video playback. It's the cons. It's the mid-generation refresh where you slim down the console. We've seen it with the 360 generation. You see it in the PS2, the PS3. It's a very common thing we've seen many times before. Uh, but this is the first time where we see it kind of actually have some some actual differences other than just making the thing slimmer, cheaper, and sleeker. We actually got the HDR, which is a feature that the regular Xbox One didn't have, and we got the 4K video playback. And these were these were big deals because this is around the time where PlayStation got the PS4 Pro, which didn't even have 4K video playback, and that was a Blu-ray player, which is just weird, and Sony creates Blu-ray. So yeah, that was a weird moment, and the Xbox One S, I think, is really important because it was a opportunity to kind of re... Re hit refresh on the brand image a little bit and get Xbox One S to appeal to a new audience. It was a way to say, like, forget the Kinect, forget the chunky VCR look of the original Xbox One, forget what you saw in 2013. Think about the Xbox One as this console from now on. And I think it was really helpful for Microsoft to have that opportunity to say, it's cheaper now, it looks sexier now, it's a different box, please, it's a gaming machine. Stop thinking about the all-in-one thing, even though it's still called Xbox One. And, you know, the Xbox One S has sold, even to this day, very, very respectably. And uh, it's it's really the turning point, because I think, you know, when I talk to people, this is the Xbox most people have, is the One S. This is, the majority of Xboxes sold are going to be this console, the One S, at the end of the day. Um, and so this is really the, the box that's going to define this generation the most, is because this is the one that's in most people's hands. And so with it, you know, in 2016, we got games like Forza Horizon 3, which is my favorite Forza Horizon. We get Titanfall 2, which is a phenomenal second effort to Titanfall, um, but ultimately fell, falls very short sales-wise because EA fucked it up. Uh, we got Quantum Break, which is such an excellent Xbox One exclusive that the world constantly forgets ever existed. We get Battlefield 1, which is a pretty decent Battlefield game, for, and that's coming from someone who doesn't really care for Battlefield. We get Call of Duty Advanced Warfare, or not Advanced Warfare. This was the year we got uh, Infinite Warfare. Uh, you get Gears of War 4, which is an excellent Gears of War. This is a very important game. This is the Coalition's first like main entry into the Gears of War franchise. This is the first real outing from the Coalition, so it's a really important title. We get Record, we get Overwatch, we get Dishonored 2, Doom 2016, Inside, Overcooked, Final Fantasy 15, Rainbow Six Siege. 2016 is a really solid year for games. Um, it's just not my favorite uh, of the Xbox years. Although I will say, you know, especially focusing on the exclusive, uh, on the exclusive side, Forza Horizon 3 is excellent. Um, Gears of War 4 is excellent. Recore is, I think, underrated. I think it's a pretty fun game. It's not phenomenal, but it's it's a it's a good 40-hour romp. Or sorry, 40-hour, 40 40-dollar 40 romp. Um, and then Quantum Break is just phenomenal. It's it, it really breaks my heart that so few people have played it because it's quite excellent and the the tv show thing they did with it somehow works very very well and it blows my mind but um yeah so that was 2016 in the nutshell the big things being the xbox one s of course um but some excellent excellent games uh kind of carried the console through a rather successful year and then we go into 2017 which i think is the last like real solid year for the console um so big notable things that happened this year we got the original xbox gets backwards compatibility so now it's just like further really like solidifying this idea that Xbox is going to be this more fluid thing. We got original Xbox games compatible on this console. We got 360. You can ostensibly play 
pretty much any Xbox game on your on your One X now or on your Xbox One rather. Um, but you know, obviously, it's not totally perfect. The original Xbox compa- backwards compatibility is still a little rough. There's only so many games on it, but it's always getting better, and it will continue to get better, especially moving into the Series X generation. Um, but the biggest thing in 2017 is, of course, and I I won't I won't tease anymore. It, the Xbox One X releases. It was first teased in 2016 as Project uh, Project Scorpio. But then it releases in 2017 in November for $500. It can play games in 4K. It has super sampling, 6 teraflops, 2.3 gigahertz octa-core CPU, and a Radeon GPU, 12 gigabytes of GDDR5 RAM, 120 hertz refresh rate support. Uh, It's essentially a big, powerful console that really boosts the Xbox One from not being like slightly underpowered compared to the PS4 to extremely more powerful than not only just the ps4 but the ps4 pro so the xbox one x is another like this at the one s it's a really important opportunity for microsoft to reposition the xbox brand in the middle of the generation because it it really puts the focus on the games it says hey all the xbox is about is just playing games so why not play it on the most powerful console on the market the best way to play games the place where games will look and run the best xbox one x and it sold a little better than i thought it would and um it's it's just a really it's really been a popular console for people who are more into you know specs and of course more of the diehard Xbox community that wants to have the latest and greatest. So the Xbox One X is by far the most significant part of this year, uh, 2017. But there's also some sad news that comes along with this year, and that the big one being that Scalebound is canceled, the action role playing game from Platinum Games. Um, it gets the axe despite so many people looking forward to this game. Although I will admit the game never really looks that good in any, any demos they ever did. It always looked a little rough, but nonetheless, the writing was on the wall for it, I, I suppose. Uh, and Microsoft just uh, just cut the game, so that never happened. Uh, but the games we did get in 2017, we got Halo Wars 2. Call of Duty World War II, Sonic Mania, Wolfenstein 2, The New Colossus, Cuphead, of course, was a massive one, Destiny 2, Forza Motorsport 7, Resident Evil 7, South Park, The Fractured But Whole, Tekken 7, Evil Within 2, Prey, Tacoma, What Remains of Edith Finch, really solid lineup, Halo 2, Halo Wars 2, of course, being my favorite, um, actually not necessarily, Sonic Mania, Wolfenstein 2, Destiny 2, pretty pretty solid year, honestly. But again, this is, I think 2017, the thing we start seeing is this is really where the Xbox One starts relying on the third parties to carry the weight. This is where we see Xbox One fall into that era where it's like the first party games have kind of stalled. Halo's been delayed so we can really make Halo Infinite great after what happened with Halo 5. Um, Gears of War is still trucking along, but that franchise alone can't hold the platform together. Same thing with the the Forza series. This is when Xbox goes quiet on exclusives and starts secretly buying up studios and getting ready for a big next gen where we can have like many, many Xbox exclusives from varying genres and developer talent from all over the industry. Um, But this is where we just start to see the Xbox kind of start lulling on the uh, on the exclusives and really, um, really just rest on the third party support. And that's I, I think, you know something I accept because obviously it's, 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 it's playing a console generation is like a game of chess. You know, you gotta be, you gotta be tactical about it. You gotta be savvy. And sometimes it's just about, you know, getting your cards, getting your units in order and kind of aligning everything for a big future play. And that's kind of where we've been with the Xbox brand for the past few years. It's, it's not super sexy and flashy with all these awesome games coming out, but we're slowly building up for this big Xbox Series X console that's going to have all these all these um, new games on it, but we just got to slowly get there. And this is where we start to think, see things slow down so we can ramp up to that next stage. And that moves us into 2018, uh, where by far the biggest thing that happens this year in 2018 is that Xbox Game Pass is announced and comes out and revolutionizes literally everything about games forevermore because this is when the thing people had been talking about forever comes out it's can we get a netflix for gaming and it's even better than netflix for gaming especially because you don't have to stream the games you just subscribe to this thing and you download games and you have them and then you just play all the games and everything that xbox makes everything that's first party just is instantly there on day one and all these amazing third-party games are always there and the library is always evolving and changing and very few things ever leave but many things are always added and it's kind of the best thing ever and 
2018 is important, and I've talked about this before, because this is where it's introduced. So obviously it's important for that reason alone. Although I, I say that 2019 is when it really starts cementing itself into the consciousness of, of not just Xbox gamers, but everyone. Um, but 2018 is a really important year because this is where it all begins. In addition to that, we get Xbox All Access, which allows you to kind of finance games with like no real downside to it at all, which is just kind of a great game or a great deal for gamers. And then notable games, we get Forza Horizon 4, which is excellent. Sea of Thieves, which is Rare's first game back in a very first game they made in a very very long time and actually it's doing pretty well even to this day it's it's been really successful with streamers um, and it's just this persistent game that it's it's dedicated audience really loves a lot we get State of Decay 2 we get Red Dead Redemption 2 Fallout 76 Far Cry 5 Call of Duty Black Ops uh, 4 Dead Cells Assassin's Creed Odyssey Monster Hunter World Celeste Shadow of the Tomb Raider and Fortnite uh, becomes you know kind of the unstoppable force in 2018 obviously it's out a little bit before that but in in 2017 we get uh, we, we saw that um, player uh, PUBG came to Xbox and became, you know, kind of synonymous with Xbox in terms of console gaming, although it later came to PlayStation. But 2018 is really where all of that doesn't matter anymore because now it's all about Fortnite, 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 Fortnite. And Fortnite blows up like crazy in 2018 and, and still holding strong to this day. But yeah, I think if, regardless of how you feel about Fortnite, that has to be mentioned because it's just such a significant moment in gaming. Um, and then that's going to kind of be 2018. It's really, other than Game Pass just being so revolutionary, that's really all we get um, for the most part other than some some decent games. Um, and then in 2019, obviously this is the, the year we just wrapped up, so there's not too much to get in depth with since it's pretty fresh on our minds, but we get the Xbox One S All Digital Edition, which comes out in May, comes with a terabyte of storage, $250, and it's uh, Xbox One S, but you cannot put discs in it instead you just download everything which i think is really important because this is one of those things where it's like it's xbox testing the waters for one of those things where they're like we're ready for the future but we don't think the market's ready for the future so let's put out this skew of the xbox one that is you know where consoles are eventually heading where we don't have disk drives but let's make it the least significant of all of these skews so that people don't bitch and moan about us taking away disk drives and i think this is like a it's a testing ground i think it's a testing ground for whatever lockhart's going to be i think lockhart probably won't have a disk drive and that this is kind of their way of playing with that whole cheaper model that doesn't have to have a disk drive because why are we buying physical media and sticking in our consoles because this is not the 1990s anymore we can download things the internet's real we can play games installed on our hard drives like grown adults um and i think that's really significant in that kind of like just little pawn that you know microsoft nudges forward and says here's this all digital console let's see how it does and uh, I'm not really sure how the numbers have been with the all digital edition, but I think it's really significant that they they actually brought something like this to market. And it's just cool to see them testing the waters and we'll see how that plays out for me. At least it's too early to tell. But, you know, that's that. Um, and then the other thing is Xbox All Access returns this time with Scarlet. Now you can now you can get Scarlet in the mix and, and just finance your consoles through Xbox. And it's a, a great value again. And then other than that, we get Xbox Game Pass Ultimate, which combines Game Pass with Xbox Live into one subscription for $15 a month rather than two $10 subscriptions, furthering the value of everything Xbox and making it by far the greatest value in gaming history because you get Xbox Live games with gold. You get... Um, game pass and just everything for one super reasonable price uh, and it's awesome it's the best uh, aside from that the xbox series x is of course revealed we get the tease during e3 of project scarlet and then during game the game awards microsoft just drops this bombshell where they show us the xbox series x and we no longer have to guess about the name and the look of the console because they gave us a ton of information a year before it even comes out so that was of course massive but that is I think kind of the, the flag wave, the signal that, you know, the generation's coming to an end and here's what we're focusing our development talents on, our, our R&D efforts on going forward is, is this new generation. Uh, aside from that, our games for 2019, we get Gears 5 and Crackdown 3. Those are really the only first party games making it a super slim year, um, although 2020 is shaping up to be slightly better. But yeah, like I said, this is really them saying, let's let the third parties take the weight uh, and let's focus our R&D and our development into the next console 
And so we get that. Uh, we also get Call of Duty Modern Warfare, Control, Metro Exodus, Resident Evil 2 Remake, Apex Legends, The Outer World, Sekiro, among some others. Uh, but yeah, that's that kind of brings us up to date. And I, and I hope you see kind of going through that all of the... <laughs> all of the different eras of Xbox we've had in just this one generation and how much it's changed from this, like in a way it's kind of gotten back to what its original vision was while also really not being what its original vision is at all. We've dropped the connect. We've dropped the voice chat. We've gone to windows 10. Um, it's all about the games, 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 but it has all the multimedia stuff. Um, it's got the social media and the share functionality built into it, but we're really going to focus on the games and have everything just kind of be secondary and tertiary, uh, to the experience, despite technically being really robust offerings. It's just, Microsoft learned that regardless of what features you need to add into the box, regardless of what functionality players need outside of games, when it comes to talking about the console and marketing it, people just want to hear about the games. And that's kind of been the story of the Xbox One X is, or, or the Xbox One brand is, is do that thing of the future, do the always online, the no disk drive, the, the digital stuff, all these new things you want to do, but when it comes to marketing the console, when it comes to talking about what it's all about, it's all about the games. And we've seen them go from here's the thing you're going to use to watch football on to here's a very powerful video game console. And it's been a really rewarding generation watching this thing kind of shift. Um, but yeah, um, I hope hope that was fun. I don't know how, what you might think of that, but I hope it was fun to kind of listen to like some of those key points. I know I missed a lot of things. I missed like lion head closing or being shut down. Um, but like, I hope it was fun to just kind of listen through that and remember like, Oh yeah, that game came out that year. Or, oh, I remember when that announcement happened and just kind of relive this quick uh, generation that's seemingly gone by so fast while at the same time really being quite, quite a few years of our lives. And, uh, Hopefully you've had a great time with the Xbox One and we can enjoy it for these last few months before we move on to the Xbox Series X. Uh, and, but I appreciate you listening through and uh, we'll wrap up this show with our Games with Gold. It is now January, of course, so we've got some new Games with Gold for this month. Throughout the whole month, we've got Sticks Shards of Darkness, which will be available on Xbox One. Batman the Telltale series will be available from January 16th through February 15th on Xbox One. And then on the 360 side, which is, of course, backwards compatible, we've got Tekken 6 available for the first half of the month. And then we've got Lego Lego Star Wars 2, the original trilogy, which is available the second half of the month. So be sure to download all those games when they're available. Uh, But that's going to do it for this week's show. There is no drop of new game releases. There actually wasn't one on Xbox Wire, so we'll do that next week. Hopefully there will be one next week. I suspect next week we'll start getting into the new year proper with news and all the the standard segments. Um, But, you know, during these holiday weeks, this is just kind of how things work. You got to find some cool things to talk about while uh, while everyone else gets a much deserved break, especially the guys over at Xbox who have just been working their asses off to help bring us what I believe to be the best brand in gaming and just a just a really, really solid console. You know, this Xbox one. Um, happy to have been a part of it from the beginning and to have enjoyed playing it so much and to be a part of this community to whatever capacity I am and to share my love and passion for this with all you guys. And hopefully you have a similar love and passion. I know sometimes I can be snarky and sarcastic and be a little down. That's just kind of my attitude. But really, I aside from the, the joking and the kind of sarcasm and the tongue-in-cheek nature of everything, I really am you know a big fan. You can call me a fanboy. It doesn't really bother me. It's It is what it is. It's not like being partial to Xbox is going to define who I am and, and make the difference in whether or not I'm a good or bad person. It's just a video game thing. Um, but I'm, I'm just, I'm really proud to be a part of this, this community and to love Xbox the way I do and to be able to share my excitement with it because it's a positive outlet for me. And so it's a great way to be involved in something and be positive and just put something positive and uplifting out there. And hopefully, hopefully that shows through in the show, despite, you know, the sarcasm and the, uh, the, the teasing of all you fucking nerdy Kingdom Hearts people out there and that we can all just come together and enjoy this this uh, this brand and this 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 console and uh, I'm I'm grateful for the Xbox one I'm grateful for all the memories it's given me and I'm excited to enjoy it for the rest of 2020 uh, before we move on to my Halo Infinite box, the Xbox Series X. So thank you all so much for listening. I'll catch you next week on Thursday, as always. And now we will end our show with our song from my buddy Eric Hudson. Take it away, Eric.